It's a warm summer night in St. Louis. You and your family are hustling through Forest Park. Well, you're hustling. The kids are meandering with melted frozen lemonades. You pat yourself down to locate car keys and glance around for landmarks. Weird-looking oak tree? Check. You're still humming a tune from the show as you get everyone settled and merge into the sea of taillights, but a question rises to the top of your mind. How does the Muni find all of those crazy, talented people? Welcome to Classic 107.3's Attuned, the podcast that amplifies your knowledge of the artistic and cultural community in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm Julie Schuster. This is Series 1, Episode 6 of Cast Me at the Muni, an exploration of the audition process. The Muni is the United States' oldest and largest outdoor musical theater, and it's located in Forest Park in St. Louis. In the sixth conversation, I sit down with local actor Michael James Reed. We talk about his experiences in London, Los Angeles, New York, and St. Louis as a veteran actor and audition coach, the importance of preparation, and Michael's Muni specialty, non-singing roles. Michael James Reed has lots of experience at the Muni and in other theaters around the St. Louis area, primarily the Repertory Theater and Shakespeare Festival. What sets an audition at the Muni apart from the others that you've done? The Muni is a special place, and I would say the thing that makes it most different is that they really show right away their respect for the actor and their respect for the artist. I've not only auditioned for, I've also worked on the other end of the table as a reader for auditions here, and in fact, I did that recently. And I was reminded how much they go out of their way to treat every individual with respect. In fact, I'll give you an example. After an entire weekend where these guys are working nonstop, and it's a Sunday at about 5 o'clock, Mike Isaacson is sitting on the floor of a studio over at Webster reading individual actors, dancers, who were given a monologue for Chicago. And he sat there and he read every one of them and gave every one of them an opportunity to succeed, gave every one of them an adjustment to show their versatility, and thanked them in such a way that I can guarantee that almost every one of them walked out of the door feeling good about what they have done. And they should feel good about what they have done because what they just did was quite brave. Auditioning isn't easy, but auditioning for the Muni, you feel respected, and I think you walk out feeling like you did what you wanted to do. With all your experience, I'm guessing you've been in places where that hasn't been the case. Sure. Full disclosure, I teach an auditioning class, and I'm, a, I'm an acting coach, and I teach auditioning at Webster Conservatory, and I do auditioning workshops. Auditioning is something, it's a part of the job. I've auditioned probably over 3,000 times in my life. And the majority of those, in fact, the vast majority of those, you don't get. And sometimes, yeah, it can be a, a not-so-pleasant experience. And that's not because you were treated badly, per se. I think it's kind of the goal of, of the auditionee to try to make it as positive as possible. And sometimes we, as actors, can be very hard on ourselves. And we can walk out of an audition really beating ourselves up. So sometimes it's not so pleasant, but I think for the most part, it's kind of the mindset that you bring to it. And so the Muni helps with that. I would say so, definitely. I mean, you get it from the moment that currently with Michael Baxter kind of handling everything, I think from the moment they reach out to you, you feel respected. 
and you feel appreciated and you feel like you're given a shot. And I can say that watching the auditions, I feel like everyone is given an opportunity for like the local auditions they do here or the, I guess it's kind of a, a regional thing because you get people that are coming in from all across the Midwest for this one weekend of auditions. The one thing you don't want to feel as a performer, one of a few things is you don't want to feel like your time's wasted and that you weren't seen. And I think that they give everyone opportunity to be seen. Obviously, some people are going to be seen longer. Some people are going to be more uncontented for a variety of reasons. But, you know, you don't want to walk away thinking, oh, that was a waste of my trip from Cincinnati where I drove for 12 hours or whatever. I think that they value the effort that actors are making to get here and they give everyone their opportunity. Does that mean it's a longer weekend for people behind the table and for the staff of the Muni? Yeah, but I think it pays off. So you said you were on the other side of the table for the auditions this year. What did you do exactly for that? Well, similar to having someone on the piano and the accompanist, you generally have a reader. So I have a large book of all the sides, all the different scenes, <laughs> which was really fun because I got to do all my Julie Andrews roles. I got to be Maria <laughs> and Mary Poppins and to a number of children. And they, they didn't bat an eyelid at it. They weren't terrified at all at this 50-year-old man playing Maria. Yeah, so I was the reader for auditions. So I feel it is my job, kind of similar to the piano accompanist, to give them as much as I can. So even though I am reading... Mary Poppins, or whoever I'm reading, and it's to be 100% committed and help them do the best audition. Position myself physically and emotionally for them and try to give them as much as possible, you know, giving them something to act with. And at the same time, you know, it's a delicate balance. I think every actor should try to be a reader once because it's a great experience to sit there and watch the process. And again, with the Muni, they take it very seriously. I get the book in advance so I can look through all the different sides because there's about 45 different roles I'm going to be reading all weekend. So, And so you were working with the kids and the teens for their auditions? Kids, teens, and adults. What's different about the kids and the teens? Are, are those auditions more fun, more stressful? There was something actually really lovely to watch about that because kids are great and Lovely and also kind of heartbreaking, too, because for many of these kids, they come in so with such a different energy than adults come in, which is great because they haven't experienced a lot of the rejection or some of the other things that can go along with your career as you kind of go down the road. They bring a real joy to it. So it was kind of a real reminder of why we do it. And what was great about that audition is the director, Matt Kunkel, every kid that came in that room he came up from behind the table, came up and shook their hand, had a little bit of small talk with them, got them to relax a little bit. And then these kids would come up, you know, one by one and just be adorable. Thank God I didn't have to cast it because how do you do it? There were so many choices and, you know, and unfortunately only seven kids are going to get it. So it is really fun to read for the kids. What's also interesting is the number of those kids I know, a number of those kids I've coached over the years, Got some calls the week of saying, can you help me with the audition? I said, no, no, because I'm going to be the reader there, so I'm going to be a neutral party. I'm just there to support you and help you do your best audition. And it's the same thing with adults. The day of the local auditions here, of the local adult auditions. I saw a number of friends come in. And now a number of friends who I've never seen at auditions before, I've never even heard them sing before. One after the other coming in. And I don't know, there was part of me that thought, if I were to walk into a room and see a friend of mine as well as everyone else, I'd feel a little bit nervous about that. I didn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable that they had a friend in the room during their audition. So I was very aware of that. 
and it's funny, I got home that night after watching 35, 45 auditions, and I texted one friend who I saw, and I just wanted to say, hey, I think you did a great job today. I just wanted you to know you did terrific work, and you should feel really good about it. And I found myself spending the next about hour and a half, two hours at home, texting and emailing everyone that I knew that came into the audition that day to tell them how grateful I was for the work that they had done. And maybe that's some of the muni spirit rubbing off on me, but it made me feel really good. I know that by the end of it, I was in a great mood because auditioning is hard. The whole series that you're doing here is all about auditioning. Auditioning is really hard. It's a part of the process and acting is a volunteer sport. And at any point, any actor can sit out in that waiting room and say, you know what? I'm not doing it. I don't need this stress. I'm going to go back to my car. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to go out with my family, do whatever I'm going to do. I'm not going to show up anymore. So I think it's an act of bravery for any actor to walk through that door and do that audition. It is an act of bravery. And I, I felt it was my job to honor that. And I think the Muni does that. The people behind this table do that. But I felt also as a friend, I needed to honor that the bravery that it takes because at any point any actor and and it's perfectly fine to do could be like you know what i just don't want to do it anymore and there's nothing wrong with making that decision but to keep on showing up and keep on doing it i applaud that tell us a little bit more about yourself about your teaching and about your experience i've been a professional actor for over 30 years i only recently moved to recently 10 years ago to st louis i started my career actually in london which is where I went to drama school and where I did a lot of my first big auditions and big jobs. I then moved to New York where I lived for a number of years, worked on Broadway and off-Broadway and around the country, including actually St. Louis. I worked at The Rep in the 90s when I was working out in New York. And then I lived in Los Angeles for about 13 years before moving here. So I've had a pretty wide experience of the audition process, having to keep auditioning over and over and over again. When I moved to St. Louis, I didn't know what it would be like here. I wasn't quite sure what the atmosphere would be like, what it would be like to be a local actor. And I've grown to really love the city and all the different opportunities I've been given as a performer here. One thing I've also had the opportunity to hear is I've become an acting coach and a teacher, which is something I didn't have time to do with my career before, but I make time for here. And that's been really rewarding, I think, because I have a perspective of what I'm able to offer students here a lot is a perspective of not only the ones that want to stay here and work locally, but so many people here want to move on to a bigger market. And that's going to mean doing good auditions. I help a lot with consulting with a lot of younger performers as well as performers kind of at all ages, just what their next step is going to be. Sometimes that is just individual audition preparation and sometimes it's just ongoing acting classes. Recently, I started teaching at Webster Conservatory, where I teach, amongst other things, an auditions class. I tell my students, and when I'm sure many teachers tell their students this, I say, this is the most important class that you're going to take in your four years there. And the reason I say that is because I feel really strongly that actors deserve to make a living. And it's really, really hard to make a living in this profession. It's a tricky and difficult business. I know that when I left drama school, I still remember that first summer after I got out of drama school feeling really lost and feeling like, whoa, what did I just do the last three years? How did they not prepare me for this? And so I take it very seriously, as all the teachers at the conservatory do, preparing them. But in my class in particular, I really want to prepare them for 
the auditions that are going to earn them a living and pay their rent and to make sure that they can jump on the opportunities as they come up. When you first get out of drama school, you walk into rooms and meet people for the very first time. You only get to meet, for instance, Mike Isaacson for the first time once. After that, you know, you're in the mix. But you only get that first opportunity once. And I want to make sure that students take the most advantage of that situation. So what's your best piece of advice for auditions? Control what is in your control and let go of the stuff that's not in your control. You are able to control a handful of things at an audition. So I try to teach that philosophy as much as possible and control what you can control and then be open to the stuff that you can't control so that you can walk out that door at the end of an audition and not kick yourself. That's one of a few goals that I try to get actors to understand is that you want to walk out thinking I did what I wanted to do. And I did because I controlled the things that I could control. Actors have a, a difficult relationship with auditioning because it can be brutal because so much is out of your control. And the decision-making process can so many times have nothing to do with things that you can control, how you look, the size you are, all sorts of different things. I watch it take a toll on actors over the years. I think that for most actors that stick with it, like myself, you start to develop kind of a thicker skin. But I also watch many actors it wear away at them and they start to become kind of thin-skinned and understandably so because you have to deal with rejection a lot. Are auditions in the Midwest different than those other places you've been? LA, New York, London? Yeah, every city has a little bit of a different flair. Yeah. London, I found, which was kind of interesting, they love to do interviews and they almost apologetically will ask you to read. So after having a nice little chat, they'll be like, oh, do you mind doing something for us? And be like, oh, well, of course. So New York and LA have two very different atmospheres when auditioning. The best way to describe that is... Uh, <laughs> You can give an audition in New York that doesn't go terribly well, and you kind of know it didn't go well. They don't tend to hide that. You know that when you left, okay, well, that's not going to happen. You can give that exact same audition in Los Angeles, and you'll walk out that door thinking, not only did I get that job, I booked a series regular, I'm going to be working for that company the rest of my life, because they will make sure that that's what you think. So. I would say that's the biggest difference between those two markets. And the Midwest is something in between. I mean, the theaters here all have a different way of auditioning. There's a certain template that is followed in the kind of the professional casting process, say, in, in New York and, and in L.A. And that template, because there's just a smaller market here, it's not as consistent. So sometimes I'll find things that are done here I'll be a little surprised by it just because I think, well, that's not how it was done in Los Angeles. That's not how it was done in New York. But it's a smaller market. So I know that when I first moved here, I had to do for a couple of theaters monologues. I haven't done a monologue for 25 years. But that's a part of the process here. That's the way it's done. It's like, okay, I'll do that. So now you do monologues. I'll do a monologue. Exactly. <laughs> Why not? I mean, that's an example of, you know, there's theaters here that take pride in the fact that they make everyone do a monologue, even people that have worked there before. Well, coming from New York and Los Angeles, it was like, mm, you know, that just isn't done. So it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just how it's done.
What's your best audition story? My best audition story. Some of my early auditions in London were peculiar. For some reason, I got on the... <laughs> there's a circuit of actors. There was a famous movie called Greystoke. I don't know if you remember that. It was The Legend of Tarzan. Tarzan was raised by primates. And so somehow I got into that circuit of actors. I don't know how this <laughs> happened. And it's the actors who are kind of physical and who can impersonate animals. I'm not sure what it is. So there's three auditions that happened in particular right in a row. And I didn't even realize how significant they were until some years later. So there was a movie called The Bear that was directed by a French director named Jean-Jacques Anneau. And all of a sudden I was called in to read as a stunt double. It was a movie starring a real bear. But they needed to have a kind of a stunt double for the bear if the bear <laughs> would not agree to do certain things. So this is where a human being had to come in in a bear costume and be a bear. So literally for a weekend of auditions, I auditioned to be a bear. And there was a group of us and we did all sorts of bear exercises and bear improvs. And <laughs> I realized it was me and all these Greystoke actors. And uh, I, I didn't get that role, sadly <laughs> to say. The next phase of that was I auditioned for somehow I was on this circuit. I was told that I was going to be auditioning for a dinosaur. And I had to do, a, it was called animatronics. That's where you're inside a costume and you are able to do multiple things at once. So it's kind of like rubbing your belly and patting your head at the same time because you have to make the eyes blink and the mouth do certain things. And it was this weird little, small little dinosaur. What I realized what I was doing at that time was I was auditioning for Jurassic Park. I didn't realize <laughs> that. They, didn't, they just said it was some big picture. And then my last one is that all of these things were being done because Jim Henson Studios, Jim Henson of the Muppets fame, was based out of London. And all of these jobs I kept going up for, the calls were coming from Jim Henson Studios. And I went in for a famous movie at the time called Dark Crystal. These are great stories because I didn't get any of these jobs. But I went in for Dark Crystal and uh, I was told I was going to read for something. And I went in there and I went to go shake someone's hand and a voice came out of this man that sounded a lot like Kermit the Frog. In fact, sounded exactly like Kermit the Frog because it was, it was Jim Henson. And I, I, I was so thrown because I grew up listening to his voice. I was completely starstruck. That was one of my favorite auditions because I just was giggling to myself the entire time that I was auditioning for Kermit the Frog. So those are my three favorite auditions. Those all happened like in a six-month span. So. <laughs> What was the first Muni show that you booked? Well, I didn't get it through an audition, actually. I moved to St. Louis, and I think it was Mike Isaacson's maybe second season. Maybe it was first season, but I had just moved here right when he took over, so I didn't work here during the Paul Blake years. But I got a phone call one day saying, hi, this is Mike Isaacson. I was like, oh, I've heard of you. Prior to moving to St. Louis, I did not do a lot of musicals. I did a lot of musicals when I was in drama school, and then when I ended up going to New York, I was like, oh, people have really, really good voices here, and I don't have a really, really good voice, so I'm just going to act. So I spent most of my career avoiding musicals. Oddly enough, I now have done, I think, 12 or 13 Muni shows, so apparently I can do musicals. But Mike Isaacson called me and said, hey, there's this role in The King and I. Would you be interested in, in, in it? And I was like, my first question was, do I have to sing? Because I don't sing. And he's like, no, no, that's the great thing. You don't have to sing. I was like, really? No singing at all. He's like, no singing at all. I said, I said, okay, if I don't have to sing, that sounds great. 
I can't even remember the character's name, but I got to dance with Laura Michelle Kelly and be like her old love interest. So I realized that there is all these roles in, especially Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals, that call for actors who don't sing, like myself. So for a long time, I worked here at the Muni being able to never have to sing, but all of a sudden, I think... I think Michael Baxter caught on to me, and he's like, you need to come in and sing a song for us at the next audition. I was like, oh, I haven't had to sing a song in many, many years. So I'm happy to say I made my singing debut at the Muni a couple years ago in 1776. I finally got to sing a little bit, and I did a little bit on Paint Your Wagon. Uh, So that's been kind of fun. So my first job, in answer to your original question, was The King and I. What will you be doing for the Muni this summer? This summer, I am slated to do Chicago, where I'm going to play, amongst other things, I think I play Fogarty, the uh, policeman who um, arrests Roxy at the beginning there. Again, another in a long line of characters, (laughs) minimal singing roles. And I'm playing Herr Zeller, one of the bad guys in The Sound of Music. For you, the audition process, how does that work at the Muni? Do you come in for that big call, or is this just pretty much a phone call and, hey, we've got these roles? It's a little bit of both. They do a round of auditions here for people who have worked here before. So it's kind of going straight to callbacks. And that's a nice thing that they do. But for some of these directors, I've worked before. So sometimes I will occasionally get the straight offer, which is nice. Or I come into that, and I'll read for specific roles. So like last year, you know, uh, Rob knew he wanted to use me in 1776, just wasn't sure which role. So a lot of times that's what it comes down to. And so they want to see you and, you know, get a chance to read. And it is great when you get offered roles straight up. But I had a director justify this some years ago to me. Actually, I did a Doll's House Part 2 at the Rep a couple of years back. And it was for a director I'd worked with a couple of times. And she's like, if you don't mind, can you put an audition on tape that we can look at? And I said, no, not at all. I, I totally understand. It's a big role, and you know, you probably want to see a bunch of people. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, I actually consider the audition kind of part of the process. It's kind of the first step of the dance, she described it. And I said, you know, that's a great way of putting it, because sometimes if I just get offered a job, I can feel a little insecure about it. Uh, hopefully they don't realize three days in that I'm not, that I'm not good and I'm not right for this job <laughs> or something. So at least you feel like when you've auditioned for something, you feel really like this extra bit that you've earned it. Not that if you get a call, you haven't earned it. That's me probably revealing how my neurotic mind works. How do you prepare for an audition? A number of different ways, but I try to be as prepared as possible. Kind of the philosophy I was talking about earlier. I think it's our job as actors to be as prepared as we can for an audition. I think if you come in and just try to wing it, it's just not going to work. So I read through the sides as much as possible. Actors always have this question, what do you need to be memorized? It's not a memorization test auditioning, but you're probably going to give a better, more truthful and open audition, the more memorized you are. So it behooves you to be memorized, but you can still hold the script in your hand. I think the way I prepare for an audition is I try to make choices. I try to show the director what I think by making strong choices. So that way, if a director can seize it, it's like, oh, I see what you're doing. That's not quite what I was thinking. Then they can adjust that. But if you don't make any choice, if you give kind of a gray audition, as opposed to something that's clearly black or white, you can run into a problem. So I try to make strong choices, try to give them an idea of what I want to do. Yeah, 
I think that's more or less how I go about the process. And then I just try to visualize as much as possible myself in the role. I think actors, many times we can talk ourselves out of audition, think, oh, I'm not right for this, I'm not right for this. So it's kind of a mental game. So you have to kind of, in the period leading up to an audition, you are kind of convincing yourself that you are right for the role and putting yourself in the best contention to be cast. Because they're going to cast someone, so might as well be you. When I was speaking with Michael Baxter, he was talking about he likes to see something surprising in auditions. Have you ever felt like a choice you made, a strong choice in your audition, influenced the way a role went in its development? Yes, absolutely. I mean, again, I think it comes down to that thing I was talking about earlier, that an audition really is the first step towards the creation of a job. It's kind of where you're test driving the car, seeing this, how does this feel? For many times, that might be your only opportunity to do that role. I've never played Hamlet, but I've auditioned for Hamlet, so that's been fun to do. And that's as far as, you know, I'm not going to play Hamlet now in my 50s, but it's your opportunity to try a role out. Although on the flip side of that, which is very interesting, I worked some years ago with Daniel Sullivan, who's kind of a, a big director in New York and such. And I was playing Mark Antony in, in a production of Julius Caesar that he was directing at the Old Globe. And I was doing something in the early days of rehearsal, and I was kind of still trying to find my way into the role. I was cast kind of late in the process. And I remember he and I were having a conversation. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do, you know, kind of based on like the audition and stuff. And he immediately stopped me and he went, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't care about the audition. I don't care what you did at the audition. And it was kind of like, oh, oh, okay. So I think sometimes as actors, we think, oh, that's what they wanted me to do. That's why they cast me. And here was like the seasoned Broadway director who was just like, no, no. What he basically was saying to me was like, that's one thing. Now we're in rehearsal. It's something completely different which was kind of a, a revelatory for me. It was like, oh, I don't have to do what I did at the audition. Good to know. Good to know. Tell me what happens from the time that you get that phone call, either the result of the audition, you've been cast, or the direct offer, until the first day of rehearsals. What's that like? That's preparation time. That's some of my favorite part of a, of a process. They tend to, in St. Louis, what I've found, you get cast early here a lot for things. Sometimes you're cast as early as a year out for an, on a job, which I kind of love, I have to say, because it means I can plan a life a little bit and I can kind of plan things and I can actually have grown-up things like vacations and stuff like that. It's like, oh, I know I have that two weeks off, so I know I can do something with my daughter that time or whatever. For one thing at the Muni, let's be specific about the Muni. The Muni, you have 11 days to rehearse. So guess what you're going to be doing in that time you get the call until you start rehearsal? You're going you're to learn your lines. And if you aren't, it's going to make the rehearsal process not fun. So each job is different. So I know, for instance, when I work at the Muni, I have 11 days of rehearsal. I know that after the first day of rehearsal, seven days later, I'm going to do a designer run-through in front of a room full of all of the designers, all of the Muni staff, and that's going to be a really nerve-wracking experience. So I know to minimize that and be the best actor I can be, being as prepared as possible. So I just start my preparation and start learning lines start researching what I need to research about the role in terms of where it fits in historically. You know, with 1776 last year, I go back and I watch documentaries. I love to do that. I used to not watch other performances, but as I've gotten older, I realized that I used to think when I was younger, oh, I don't want to watch other performances because I'm afraid they'll influence me. 
And now, as it's funny, as I've gotten older, and now I'm kind of like, hey, if they can influence me, awesome. And I can kind of pick and choose. So now I find that I do like to watch lots of different versions of other performances if they're available. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago playing Claudius in Hamlet at the Rep and, and watching a bunch of different versions of Hamlet because there's a number available and everyone does something different and then I have to find my own. So I find that helps. So I love the research part of it. The rehearsal process has been cut down over the years. When I was a younger actor, you almost always had three and a half, four and a half weeks of rehearsal. Now, because of economics and the economics of theater, every theater, you're lucky if you get more than two and a half, three weeks of rehearsal. So that means if you don't show up really prepared, ready to go, you will run into a problem. You will not have an enjoyable time. And so just knowing your lines backwards and forwards from day one really, really helps. That's really hard. A, because it's hard to learn lines cold, which is what you're doing. So I just treat it as a job. I look on my calendar. If I start rehearsal on a certain date, I back it up and I look at how big the role is. And I say, I'm going to start learning lines on this date. And I know I have to learn X amount of lines per day in order to get to this point where I want to be. So I kind of calendar it out, which is hard because it's a period when, you know, you might be doing another job. You're not being paid. They're not paying you to learn lines. So you, you have to kind of be a little self-motivated there. But it, it pays off. Tell me what it's like when you first, those first couple of days of rehearsal at the Muni. I've heard lots of enthusiastic stories and feelings about those first couple of days. You know, now that I've done a few of them, I, I can really enjoy them a lot more because I try to be of help to a lot of times new actors here because it is its own thing. The Muni process is its own thing. Like I say, in seven days after you start rehearsing, you will be doing a full run through of a three and a half hour musical that you have felt like you have barely rehearsed. So those first few days are a little bit of a blur. Your first few times out with the Muni, you're kind of being pushed around from rehearsal platform to rehearsal platform. They are unbelievably organized here. They have unbelievable stage management and production crews. So they, they are putting the artist first here. I feel really supported as an actor here. And I, I watch, you know, a lot of the, the big names that come out here and people who are playing really significant roles. You watch them really being supported, given as much opportunity to succeed as possible. So those first few days can be a little bit like summer camp. What on earth is going on here? And you just have to kind of go with it. And you almost always will have inevitably in terms of uh, the choreographer or the music director or the director, someone who's worked here, if not once, many times before. And so they, they keep reminding you, this is just how it is. This is how we do it here. And by the time you get to opening night, you've, now I, I kind of have the pattern down, but I will say that my first show, The King and I, that I was talking about, I walked onto that stage, and I don't think it's ever really happened to me before as an actor. I walked onto stage, and um, my first thing is I had to look out the audience to a, a little telescope. I was playing some sea captain at the beginning, and I remember my knees buckling. And I don't think my knees have ever buckled on a stage before, but I remember it's like, wow, there really are almost 11,000 people in this audience. And it goes really high and I felt really wobbly in my knees. And that was <laughs> thrilling and terrifying at the same time. Do you still get a glimmer of that feeling every time you go up? I don't get the knee buckling, fortunately, no, because that was a little bit like, whoa, that, ooh. I think the more and more I've worked here at the Muni, the, the more and more I can actually really enjoy Opening nights, the first few opening nights I did here, it's a little bit of an outer body experience because you've had very little rehearsal. You've had very little tech. When you're working at the rep or something, you have two 
full days of technical rehearsals and then a dress rehearsal and then another day of rehearsal before you, all this goes on before you even have an audience here you do one kind of tech rehearsal which is a run through but i watch it you know i watch kind of muni magic happen almost every opening night here where it's just extraordinary and it is a little bit of an outer body experience it just happens and one of my favorite things to do here um, is and many times since i'm playing character roles and stuff here i have this opportunity is to stand in the wings a lot and watch performances i remember a couple of years ago doing gypsy with beth level here and i remember watching her do rose's turn here is this incredible performer all alone on the muni stage I'm sitting in the wings and I'm watching her just with 11 days of rehearsal, no tech, performing this number on this turntable as it's going. And I knew that she'd only been on that turntable maybe once or twice before that number. And it was magic, utter, utter magic. And it's really, really fun to watch. Yeah, for the audience too. Yeah. For all of us out there as well. Last question. What three words would you use to describe the Muni? Big, <laughs> historic, and lovely. Thanks for listening to Classic 107.3's Attuned. There's more great content on our website, classic1073.org slash podcasts. There you'll find all of the available episodes, plus show notes, pictures, links, and more.